0: and that's how idolatry is in our lives that we're just at every turn we're trying to find that thing that makes us valuable and worthwhile and the idol will is always going to crop up Mm -hmm. and in mephibosheth what we see is this foil to this idolatrous drive that he has nothing (laughs) you know right that he is that oh he's not being hyperbolic when he says what use do you have for a dead dog like me that's well-established, mm-hmm. you know, that even, even when his Lord needs him the most, he can't get on his own horse to go follow his donkey, right? And, and there's something very, I think, powerful and rich. And um, I've known people that worked um, with, say, disabled people, like at Camp Barnabas and mm-hmm. stuff. And, 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 you know, those people have encountered grace in a way that most people never will.
1: They have nothing um, to offer in the world in, 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 in worldly
0: terms. Right, but yeah, and the people who serve them, because they're confronted with doing good for somebody with no hope of any kind of worldly return. Right, right. And Jesus says, invite the people who can't pay you back. There's something about that that there's that nothing about that makes sense. That this is a choice to be in a totally different economy.
1: Welcome everyone to the Faith Recovery Podcast. I'm Kent.
0: And I'm Nathan.
1: And we're seeking to recover faith by recovering the faith. So we're exploring the Bible, looking for the faith there, and we're in a series called According to Scripture. And this is maybe 16 or 17 now. Today, We're going to be looking at the story of Mephibosheth
0: Mephibosheth.
1: as the foil to performance-based religion.
0: Mm.
1: Now, let's all practice this name.
0: Mephib. Mephib.
1: Osheth. Osheth. Mephibosheth. Okay. I
0: say Mephib. You say Osheth. (laughs) Osheth. Love it. (laughs) That's when something bad happens in your life. Stub your toe. Osheth. Mephibosheth.
1: We're starting a new thing here today. David's going to seek out the grandson of his enemy and successor, not to destroy him as most would expect, but to restore his inheritance and include him in his family. Mm. David's relationship with Mephibosheth depicts our relationship with Christ, especially as contrasted with the machinations of Saul's steward, Ziba. Okay. So I kind of remember this story, but I need to be, I need a refresher, Nathan. So why don't we do a refresher?
0: Yeah, I was going to do a whole long backstory. Maybe I won't. Uh, I'm going to do just a backstory without reading the Bible, and you can go back and check. So this backstory is brought to you by First Samuel chapter 10 through the end of the book. Okay, and it's really this this story about Saul rising to kingship, um, being such a humble guy, you know, and that when they are announcing him as a king, he's hiding in the luggage or whatever it was, right? Um, and so it seems like just a salt of the earth kind of fellow. And, you know, somebody you'd want to hang out with, right? Um, faithful, faithful son, good guy. And uh, and yet when he's really tested, I think, with the weight of authority, then he um, he crumbles. And he starts to really overstep, starts to, to really disobey God's and, at God and, and claiming to do it for God's sake which is the most dangerous kind really of disobedience you know which is why there's this refrain that really I think kind of begins in First Samuel and that is does the Lord delight in sacrifice as much as in obedience right mm-hmm. <clears throat> so you get over to Amos and other places to obey is better than sacrifice that mm-hmm. there's this this sense that if we are measuring what we've done for God, right, or how useful we are for him or whatever, we tend to overreach and we tend to do what is, um, we, we, we do what they did in the garden, I guess you could say. And we, and we so we try to be as God in our um, service of God. And so it. And it, it really just gets nasty. And we're told that an evil spirit comes and plagues Saul and um, David has to come play his harp and make Saul feel better, right? All this stuff happens, and then, you know, somebody like Saul, who is inevitably going to become insecure in their power and their place. And uh, Saul wants to kill David, so there's just, you know, a few little lesser attempts here and there, some scheming to kill him. Uh, Jonathan who we're told you know uh, David and Jonathan have this very close relationship just that their Mm -hmm. hearts are knit together they have this real fellowship among them and Jonathan is you know he's ready to go to bat for David even at the risk of his own dynasty Um, and so Saul and his sons uh, toward the end of the book uh, uh, die on the battlefield they'll die together at a particular battle um, after David's already, you know, he's beginning to ascend to power. Once Saul's dead, David is a successor at first, but eventually rises to the kingship completely over uh, Saul's whole house, right? Saul's house is suppressed. Um, people, not really with David's sanction, I think, go and, and kind of wipe out a lot of Saul's progeny and relatives and stuff, but there's one that survives and, uh, and it's this one that um, that we're going to focus on today, whose name is Mephibosheth, mm-hmm. which is Mephibosheth mouthful, right? And so um, we're going to take up in Second Samuel chapter 8, verse 13 through 9, 9. And um, so I hope and trust that this is going to tell us what we want to know. Okay. So, and David became famous after he
1: returned from striking down 18,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. He put garrisons throughout Edom, and all the Edomites became subject to David. The Lord gave David victory wherever he went. David reigned over all Israel, doing what was just and right for all his people. Joab, son of Zeruiah, was over the army. Jehoshaphat was recorder. Zadok, they were priests. Sariah, secretary, Benaiah was over those people, and David's sons were priests. Yay. David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? the king asked. Ziba answered, He is at the house of Machir, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. So David, so King David had him brought from Lodabar from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, He bowed down to pay him honor. Shall I keep reading?
0: Uh, Go through verse 8.
1: Okay. (laughs) David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid. David said to him, For I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me?
0: Yeah, right. <laughs> so Mephibosheth's got some strikes against him, right? Yeah. So why, Son of why Jonathan. You, yeah, go ahead. Grandson of Saul. Right, yeah. His former enemy. Right. His former enemy. Tried mm-hmm. to kill David. Yeah.
1: Normally the successor house it destroys the house right. of the former king.
0: Right. Yeah. So that's why he says, "Don't be afraid." Right. <laughs> yeah. You know. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, the guy's hiding out in a place. Lodabar bar means no pasture. So he's hiding out in a place that it's like you know nobody really wants to go there, right? Uh-huh. Uh, and so nobody will look for him there. Right. Yeah. Uh, and if they do, they. I mean, they're not thinking, "Well, this guy's really trying to rise to power." He's, you know, he's in a backwater. Uh-huh. Like nobody really wants to be there.
1: Uh-huh.
0: So that's that's part of it um but yeah he's uh so he's lame in both feet (laughs) Mm -hmm. right he's not just like he didn't just have a limp right this guy you know he's he has to be carried Mm -hmm. uh or crawl Mm -hmm. you know um at this time there weren't any sorts of prosthetics or wheelchairs or whatever um so there's somebody who's literally low down right he's at the bottom he's hanging out in a place called no pasture. He's living, you know, he's sleeping on somebody else's couch. Yeah. Um he is yeah, the enemy's son. He's really marked for death um in that society. Like there would have been it wouldn't have just been David. There would have been a lot of people as we see later mm-hmm. who would have wanted to get game favor, you know, misguidedly because if they didn't know David's heart, but who would have you know gladly killed Mephibosheth just to uh, you know take his head to David in the hopes of of receiving some favor from mm-hmm. the king? So he's just in a bad way, right? It's not a good place for him, and yet David David brings him in, and he um, you know he gives him back his whole household. Like this is this would have been really an expansive holding property. Gonna give you back what all the land that belonged mm-hmm. to Jonathan. Yeah, well, all the land that belonged to Saul. That I mean, this was Saul. Yeah, King Saul's household. So you know, mm-hmm. we know that he already was a landowner, householder from before he was king. Um, you know, because we meet him as he's going to find his father's donkeys that have gotten lost, right? Mm-hmm. And so we know that they already held held property and animals and things like that, which would have put them, you know pretty high up there already and then being king I'm sure his territories his holdings would have been even larger and so but this whole household I guess went to probate or whatever you know and it's being overseen by a steward in the house zeba right so he doesn't zeba doesn't technically own it but he has control of it so for all intents and purposes he does own it right mm-hmm. and so this this fellow zeba, If you're telling the story, you know, why does he come up? Does he come up just because this is how events took place? Or is there another reason? Now, it's my contention and belief um, and experience that nothing's really incidental, nothing's just about telling the facts as they happened in the Bible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that would be too simple. That's what we wanted to do, and that's what it's critiqued for not doing sometimes in places where maybe there's a detail that's that seems off, right? But there's more to it. Someone's not mentioned unless they contribute to the message and not just the story, because we don't need right. to know who this is. To tell the story of Mephibosheth, we can just simply say David inquired and found out that Mephibosheth was could have completely glossed over that.
1: Right, right. What do right. they talk about? They talk about Chekhov's gun. If there's a gun on the wall, if there's a description of a scene and yeah. someone says there's a gun hanging on the wall, you know it's because that gun's going to be used later to right. shoot someone. Right,
0: yeah, exactly. Yeah, hadn't heard of it, but love it. Yeah, yeah. Chekhov's gun. That guy in Star Trek, who mm-hmm. knew? Uh, yeah, um, so... Zeba is mentioned for a reason, and uh, so let's unpack him a little bit. So right now, there's already contrast between Zeba and Mephibosheth, right? Mephibosheth, the rightful heir and owner, sleeping on dude's couch in Lodabar. He's in Lodabar. Right? Zeba's uh, at the estate of Saul, yeah. managing the estate of Saul. Right. So here's somebody who's not a, a householder, landowner but who has all of the who's acquired all of it right i mean surely we don't think that this guy continued to live as a servant you know sleeping in the servant's quarters and all that right he's uh he's not he's doing well for himself you know things have worked out for him and um so now uh there's more to know because we now zoom back in on Zeba. um in verse 9 through 13.
1: All right, then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now... Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Okay, so he's doing well, like yeah, you said. Right. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet.
0: Right, in case you forgot, <laughs> <laughs> I think we introduced him. And there's this Mephibosheth guy, He's lame in both feet. And uh, also, did you know Mephibosheth was lame in both feet? Uh, the again, the 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 nuance here is so important, right? And Zeba and Mephibosheth, they're they're kind of woven together, right? What do you notice? What do you notice in this? What strikes you here?
1: Oh, I'm. Uh, but the contrast between Zeba,
0: yeah. and Mephibosheth, yeah, and just yeah, any, uh, well, any Mephibosheth details
1: alone, Zeba's got a large family,
0: uh-huh. uh huh. If I'm not mistaken, he's just got that one son. Mephibosheth has that one right, son, right? One Micah. son named Micah,
1: yeah. And uh, well, I mean, it, it's a it's an abrupt about face. Uh-huh. Zeba yeah. suddenly his his family now they they serve yeah Mephibosheth and mm-hmm. Micah
0: yeah right. I mean, <laughs> you'd think. The irony is just is built into it, you know, in the story. It, we're not we're not given the inside track onto how Zeba feels about all this, mm-hmm. right? But his fortunes have changed, mm-hmm. right? Things have have flipped for him, and you know, you you can just kind of feel it as he's standing there telling him that, right? And Zeba, but Zeba knows, right? He he's a smart guy. His response is, of course, yes, yeah, right. so, yes, yeah, so, as, as you, you wish. wish, right, mm-hmm. right, yeah, uh because he's not stupid, okay. um but but notice that you know these details about Zeba, again this guy is an ancillary character at best he could have been completely left out if if there's just a story about how gracious david was to his former enemies or his deceased enemy's uh, grandson then we could have left him out entirely For some reason he factors in okay and um and there's a contrast there's a clear contrast made, and they are, so they're pivoting around each other, Zeba and Mephibosheth. Their story is intertwined. Okay, we, we have to see them together. And one contrast here is that Zeba is somebody who has relative strength and power in that just 15 sons. You know, he's got a legacy, he's got a progeny, but he also has a small militia. I mean, you know, 20 servants. This is 35 men. That he has command over. Okay, that's not too bad, right? And Mephibosheth had one boy and he was lame in both feet. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> this is what we get. This is the contrast, right? Uh, that all Mephibosheth had is this one kid, um, had a young son, not even somebody that can actually do the work. He's a dependent mm-hmm. and he's lame in both feet. Uh, Mephibosheth himself, even though all of this is now. Provided for Mephibosheth, it's superfluous because Mephibosheth is staying in Jerusalem eating at the king's table, you know. So, um, yeah, there's a a really kind of a stark contrast. Now, we're going to see more of Ziba's personality. Let me give you the parenthetical here. Um, And maybe next time we'll talk about Absalom and his um, rebellion. Okay. Okay, so one of David's adult sons later will rebel against David Um, gather a militia, come into Jerusalem. Rather than participate in a civil war, David will just up and leave. Mm -hmm. He'll just leave Jerusalem. Absalom will come in and um, move into David's house and take over as king, right? Now, when uh, David comes back into town, right, so Joab's army, really without David's approval, kills off you know kills off uh, absalom and uh and so david's he comes back into town right and so david is on his way back into jerusalem word has gone out it's a lot like jesus triumphal entry people actually hear that he's coming and they go they go toward him they want to be the first to welcome him back that's smart right just politically smart and so ziba hears about it right um And when David had gone
1: a short distance beyond the summit, there was Ziba, the steward of Mephibosheth, waiting to meet him. He had a string of donkeys saddled and loaded with 200 loaves of bread, a 100 cakes of raisins, a 100 cakes of figs, and a skin of wine. The king asked Ziba, why have you brought these? Ziba answered, the donkeys are for the king's household to ride on. The bread and fruit are for the men to eat, and the wine is to refresh those who become exhausted in the wilderness. Then the king, the king, then asks, "Where is your master's grandson?" Ziba said to him, "He is staying in Jerusalem because he thinks today the Israelites will restore to me my grandfather's kingdom."
0: Yes. Oh, this is when David's actually leaving. So, we're, we'll get to when he comes back in a minute. Okay. This is when he's actually leaving Jerusalem. Ziba goes out, takes him supplies. Uh huh. Okay. Then the king
1: said to Ziba, "All that belonged to Mephibosheth is now yours." I humbly bow," oh, Ziba so said. Humble, right. <laughs> "May I find favor in your eyes, my lord, the king?"
0: "Yes, yes."
1: So Ziba tricks David into thinking that Mephibosheth is is uh, conspiring with Absalom yes. to re- to
0: gain power. Right? Yeah, he's, that he's betraying him. But he but he doesn't just come out and say, ah, ah, "David, Mephibosheth, he's trying to betray you." I mean, he comes with all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, you know, he's he sees his moment. Mm-hmm. And, and, he, and and he says, may I find favor in your eyes, my Lord. Mm-hmm. So this is what he wants. This is what he doesn't have, right? He's just this ancillary character. He's just somebody that's supposed to do what he's told and all this, but he's, he's got ambition, mm-hmm. right? He's got high hopes. Mm-hmm. And he's doing all the right things. And uh, one thing you really need to do, though, if you if you want to do all the right things, is you got to make the other guy look bad, right? <laughs> right. Again, Ziba, nothing happens that Zeba does that, where he's not contrasted with Mephibosheth, right? Zeba, you're here. You're here at my low point. You're bringing me provisions. You're wishing me well, right? Where's Mephibosheth, right? And uh, and so there's this contrast ziba is there he's you know he's that person with the social grace you know um man i just wish i was that guy you know those people <laughs> man they just always think of the right thing they bring it i'm not that I'm saying those people are bad but i'm saying he has a skill that mm-hmm. that will take you far mm-hmm. right and mephibosheth apparently uh missed his moment you know for whatever reason he missed his moment and um uh, is not doing that thing that you know well he's lame we on both feet. It's hard for right, him to get out there. It is hard, but uh David certainly wondering where he is, right? Right. Yeah. Um so here's another let's see, this is uh second Samuel nineteen, fifteen through um eighteen. This is when he comes. So back, David's right? now returning. So right. Joab,
1: David's uh, commander, has killed Absalom. Right. Now David's returning to Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Then the king returned and went as far as the Jordan. Now the men of Judah had come to Gilgal to go out and meet the king and bring him across the Jordan. Shimei, son of Gira Benjaminite, hurried down with the men of Judah to meet King David. With him were a thousand Benjamites, along with Ziba, the steward of Saul's household, mm-hmm. and his 15 sons and 20 servants. They rushed to the Jordan where the king was. They crossed at the ford to take the king's household over and to do whatever he wished. When Shimei, son of Gera, crossed the Jordan, he fell prostrate before the king and said to him, May my lord not hold me guilty. Do not remember how your servant did wrong on the day my lord the king left Jerusalem. May the king put it out of his mind, for I, your servant, know that I have sinned. But today I have come here as the first from the tribes of Joseph to come down and meet my lord the king.
0: Yeah, so this guy Shimmy, right, or Shimei, or whatever. He, uh, what we didn't read in the last one was that he was there to curse David as he was leaving and throw right. rocks at him and okay. stuff. He was a Benjamite and really saw David as a usurper over Saul's household. So, and it's I think it's interesting that the two people that come to meet David are, are Ziba and, and and this guy, right? Yeah. Uh, you know that Zeba's behavior here is not. Cast in a positive light that he that there's some guilt by association. Notice that you know, again, he comes with all this flourish, he comes with his sons, and and again, we're told specifically his 15 sons and 20 servants mm-hmm. that there's a redundancy there. It's like, okay, well, we know that we know how many. I mean, how short is our memory? Come on, you know, mm-hmm. you could have said he came with his household or with his sons and servants, you know, but again, it's specified the number, uh, so. And they hurry there, they cross the lake, and they're there to do whatever he wants. you know. Uh-huh. So this really Shimmy and uh, zeba are, they're kind of two peas in a pod, you know. There's that person that that, um, that hates you and you know they hate you. And then there's that other person who just wants to use you and you, mm-hmm. and all they do is is blow smoke up your hindquarters, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and zeba is is that guy. Um, So, when Mephibosheth shows up, so these guys all show up, right, and they're all um, wanting to curry favor. Um, Now, Mephibosheth joins, now that David's coming back, right, And 24 through 30.
1: Mephibosheth, Saul's grandson, also went down to meet the king. He had not taken care of his feet or trimmed his mustache or washed his clothes from the day the king left until the day he returned safely. When he came from Jerusalem to meet the king, the king asked him, Why didn't you go with me, Mephibosheth? He said, My lord the king, since I, your servant, am lame, I said, I have my donkey saddled and will ride on it, so I can go with the king. But Ziba, my servant, betrayed me, and he has slandered your servant to my lord the king. My lord the king is like an angel of God, so do whatever you wish. All my grandfather's descendants deserved nothing but death from my lord, the king. But you gave your servant a place among those who eat at your table. So what right do I have to make any more appeals to the king? The king said to him, why say more? I order you and Zeba to divide the land. Mephibosheth said to the king, let him take everything. Now that my lord, the king has returned home safely.
0: Yeah, isn't that great? Mm. It's very much like uh, when Jacob and, and Esau meet up and, and Jacob says, "Hey, hey, keep it. Yeah, God has been gracious to me, and I have all I need. Uh-huh. And there really is—I mean, the whole time it was superfluous. Like he didn't need his estate back, Mephibosheth. He—he's been welcomed into the king's house, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. for him, David is the reward. Um, and so there's uh, and I and I think he really—I think he really means this. And this is the difference. I think you know Ziba. All Ziba is trying to do is to gain favor so that he can get the stuff. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, for his betrayal, everything. And David's certainly not right now in a mood to punish anyone, you know. So he just says, Look, let's just end this. There's obviously a tug of war between you and Zeba, and I've caused it. Just split it. Let's be done with it, I think mm-hmm. is his approach. Just as he doesn't retaliate against Shimmy for cursing him and all that, because it's just a time of victory. David's on a high. He doesn't want to have any sort of division, so he's just like just split it. Let's just be done with it. You guys you know aren't going to get along. Right. So, but Mephibosheth his approach is that there's there's genuine mourning. I mean, you can't you can't be like, "Oh, David's coming back. Let me grow out my mustache." <laughs> mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. That, that but but in private that there is this grieving that Mephibosheth that is evident on him. Yeah. You know that there's a a genuineness there that ziba could never pull off you know all he can do is you know gather everybody and let's go and make some gesture but it's but it's a gesture and that's all it is Mm -hmm. you know it's superficial but with mephibosheth it's it's something that was private and clear and genuine and i think he's he's serious about it he's like look this guy wants to stab me in the back for this land, just let him have it, you know, um, who needs it? So there's, there's a real difference there, right, between their, in their aspirations, in their approach, and just who they are, okay? And so there's this real distinction. Now, why do I make such a deal of all of this? Um, well... I'll ask you first. Uh, what is the deal, Nathan? Yeah, right. Well, let me ask you Why first. Why are we talking what, about these guys? Right. Where do you Where do you see Jesus in this In this story? Do you see him anywhere in this? This is your unprepared moment. You can just, you know, have a long, long awkward mm. pause here. But yeah, what do you think?
1: Well. I certainly see the humility of the believer in Mephibosheth. Yeah. You know, who am I? You know, I'm uh, to deserve any of this. Mm-hmm. My uh, my father's household all deserved death and you've brought me in.
0: Yeah. And so, you know, there's the humility of, of the believer in that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Mephibosheth is literally fallen. Right? Mm-hmm. And broken, literally fallen and broken physically. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that fall and that breaking was largely the result of an ancestor, a hostility, an enmity that, this, um, that there was between this ancestor and the sovereign. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, and, and so, you know, the deck stacked against him, that anything that David would do for Mephibosheth would have to entirely be David's doing, right? Mephibosheth couldn't come up and say, hey, you know, I've got all this land. I'm thinking you should probably give it back. Mm -hmm. Yikes, right? That would not be smart. Okay, so Mephibosheth's only hope, if he wants to stay alive, is just to stay away. That alienation is built in from both sides, Mm -hmm. okay? Um, And not only that, but Mephibosheth has nothing to give, nothing to bring, right? He, he can't offer anything like Zeba, Zeba actually has something to offer, right? He and David utilizes it and says, you know, all 35, 36 of you do what I'm telling you to do. And Zeba's like, okay, you know, we we'll use, I'll use my resources for your sake. And so again and again, Zeba has something to offer. Okay. Uh, so he is more like, uh, this approach I would say that would like a, a performance based approach, uh, sacrifice as opposed to, uh, Mercy, hmm Okay. So Zeba's approach to David is one of, of sacrifice, of bringing an offering, of performance. Earn favor. Right, right. That's what he wants. He wants favor with the king, and he's going to earn it. And if he can't earn it legitimately, he will slander and betray somebody else to get it, right? Because there's one thing that Mephibosheth has that Um, Ziba doesn't. And that is his connection to Jonathan. And this is, I think, a critical Christological similarity here is that that Mephibosheth has two ancestors. He has uh, an enemy ancestor, Saul, Mm -hmm. um, and whose actions led to his fall. But he also has an ancestor who is David's friend. And it is for—remember, it's not for Mephibosheth's sake. It's not like, how pathetic is Mephibosheth? That's pretty bad. He did say know? for Jonathan's sake. For Jonathan's sake. Mm-hmm. For his friend. You know, so if you would, just, just hazard me this. Uh, I see in Saul a similarity to Adam, and in Jonathan a similarity to Abraham.
1: Ooh, I thought you were going to say Christ, but you said you know, Abraham,
0: right? Because David is Christ, okay. you know, um, and and so it is. You know, we don't need to lose sight of the fact that that I think in Western Christianity we just think, you know, hey, God has a wonderful plan for you, and He loves you very much, and all this other stuff. And it's like, man, well, yeah, okay, maybe that's true, and we can talk about that. But the, but the connection that we have to God. Is it's more ancient, it's more deeply rooted, it's based not just on you and God, but it is on a history, uh, on, on a, a relationship that precedes us. And that this walk that Abraham had, it's not something that just went away, it wasn't just incidental, it's not just a stepping stone, it's it's a foundation stone it's pivotal it's critical that we have to we only come to God through Abraham we have to be related to Abraham in order to come to God and that the favor comes for the sake of the friend and so it's this friendship that precedes us and that's why we can be confident in it you know when when David you know pulls Mephibosheth in right this guy's defenseless man he's dead I mean, he says, "What use do you have for dead dog?" Mm-hmm. You know, there's just nothing. There's no reason for him. Like, <laughs> think about the Princess Bride. You know, um, I don't know if you ever saw that movie, sure. but yeah, sure, everybody did, right? So, uh, Wesley, you know, he's the, he's the valley for um, the Dread Pirate Roberts, mm-hmm. right? Good night, Wesley. Good work. Most likely, kill you in the morning, right? <laughs> you know, I wonder. Mephibosheth's like, hey, you know, David's like, hey, Mephibosheth, it was a good day, when not it? Yeah, I'll probably kill you tomorrow. You know, I mean, I mean, he could have at any day, right? He's hanging over a barrel. What what reason does Mephibosheth have to have any kind of confidence that he's not just there being toyed with, you know? Um But I think that it was this this relationship that he had with Jonathan. That cemented and secured Mephibosheth's place there. And so I, I just think that's that's important. Like Mephibosheth's strike against him was his ancestor, but also the thing arguing in his favor was another ancestor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I see that to me that's the that's the significance, that's the Christology there, that here we come, nothing to offer, right? But there is this warm regard, this Mm -hmm. longing and this desire that's initiated from the top, right? And that it's not just about justice, because that would have been, I don't know what justice even in that case would have been. Maybe it would have been to execute Mephibosheth, but uh, at least in their sensibilities. But, But let's just say justice was to restore his household. So he could have, right? And what would have been the what would have made the most sense, right, for him to move into his own house? Mm-hmm. But, but you know, instead he's brought into David's house and eats at his own table. Right. I mean, it would have been problematic because here's a here's this cripple <laughs> with no voice and no capacity to defend himself, uh, dependent on these thirty six dudes who would rather see him dead. Mm-hmm. Right. That it probably would have been an issue if he'd moved into the house. Um, but yeah, he. And and I think that maybe a lot of times what we want out of redemption is that God would say, hey, you're forgiven. Come on back and move into your own house. You know, I'll call if I need you. But, mm-hmm. you know, we, we really, when we think of justification, we think of kind of a not guilty verdict and then everybody kind of high fives and goes home, you know. But in this case, there's this call to move in, mm-hmm. you know. This this invitation to join the household, not just acquitted, but uh, adopted into the family. Exactly. Yeah. So it's a big deal. I mean, you can't. Can you imagine just these unguarded moments of the family sitting around the table? Like, there's just nothing more intimate Mm -hmm. than that. Who who would have been around that table? You know, it's not like there's just this anybody and everybody. Mm -hmm. Just his sons. It's his inner circle. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, David, his sons. And this crippled dude, you know? And it's like, what's he doing here? It's just like, what's your brother? You know? <laughs> yeah. He's Jonathan's son. Right. You
1: know, that's, what, that's, that's, that's who he is. He's Jonathan's son. Yes. That's what really uh, determines his place at the table. That's exactly. your
0: point. Exactly. It is. And what, you know, because he's Jonathan's son, he's David's son. Right. And that's that multi layered adoption that we see at Paul unpacking that we are sons of God because we're sons of Abraham. You know, that there's mm-hmm. this grace that reaches down through this friendship mm-hmm. that was really forged, you know, by by God. Mm-hmm. Uh, God started it all, right? And and developed this friendship. But it's for that friendship that we are now adopted. And so in Mephibosheth what we see is this multi-layered adoption with David as being the figure and the type for his descendant who's his ancestor, as we talked about last time, you know, the the one from whom he springs and in whose image he is, right? Um and so uh, but I want to read uh Deuteronomy because I think there's something a little bit deeper, a message just a little bit deeper to, to grab here. In Deuteronomy twenty seven fifteen, um gonna- Cursed. Cursed is anyone who makes an idol, a thing detestable
1: to the Lord, the work of skilled hands and sets it up in secret. Then
0: all the people say, then all the people shall say, amen. Amen. Doggone sure. it. Cursed. Cursed. <laughs> shall I keep reading? And we need to curse more. No, um, no, we don't need to curse. Like, you know, we curse That's plenty. It's enough cursing. We curse plenty. Um, in terms of, yeah, profanity. But anyway, yeah. So there's this curse, right? And and what this idol is is cursed. And the reason it's cursed, uh, or at least one of the reasons, is because it's the work of skilled hands. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would submit that we have this tendency to create idols, and the idols are idols because we've created them. <laughs> we want to worship something we made. Mm-hmm. Uh, something that it was hard for us to make. Uh, there's an image that we have. Maybe it's an image of ourselves. Maybe it's an image of um, the way the world should be. right? Um, and for... The ancients, you know, and I think there's our tendency is to is to make that into a physical, say, a sculpture or whatever that we're going to worship, that we want to put all this energy and effort in. Maybe it's this drive to produce great architecture or whatever that is a part of our worship experience. Right. But idolatry is a is a function really of self-worship. I think that, that at its root, at its heart, is a worship of humankind, our potential, our accomplishments, and that's what we really want. That is the idol behind all idols. Okay? All idols are just manifestations of that aspiration that we have for self-worship. Okay? So, you know, if we put... Say a performer, an actor, or somebody up on the pedestal, right? They they have qualities that we admire, that we aspire to. Um, and so there's there's a degree of of self congratulation, of at least hope to become something laudable, praiseworthy among the human society. Okay, that's the idol. And I'm saying that because um, because of the meaning of these two guys' names. Remember, I'm saying that Mephibosheth and um, Zeba occur in contrast to one another. Mm-hmm. Okay, now the name Zeba uh, means statue. Mm. So it you know it's a depiction of something carved out. Now if you're a Jewish parent, do you name your kid statue? <laughs> you know, uh, here's somebody who is he's carving out himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's working okay. It works okay. And it does. You know, there are people out there, self-help people, right, Uh, performance enhancement, people who focus on productivity and performance, and they can show you all their successes and stuff. It works. Mm -hmm. That's how the world works. That's how the world works, right. But it also will make you a poisonous influence because you can't both become everything that you aspire to be and... Treat other people well <laughs> in every case. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, just by virtue of being so aware of how you're coming across, you're already inauthentic, you know? Mm-hmm. And so while Ziba had mastered this and and benefited from it, ultimately in the end, he, he kind of wins, right? Um, so it works. But Ziba's approach kind of points to Ziba, right? Whereas with Mephibosheth, you see David's kindness, David's grace, mm-hmm. um, and to me that that seems more worthwhile. But the name Mephibosheth is is really long, right? It's hard to say. But it the reason for that is it's basically a, a sentence. <laughs> mm, okay. Yeah, and and it means exterminating the idol
1: mm.
0: is what Mephibosheth means. Mm. So it's not just destroying the idol, but that there's this, the word exterminate, you know, it 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 speaks of resolve and persistence. It speaks of getting into the crevices and cracks where this thing's going to flee, right? Mm-hmm. And that's how idolatry is in our lives, that we're just, at every turn, we're trying to find that thing that makes us valuable and worthwhile. And the idol will is always going to crop up, mm-hmm. And in Mephibosheth, what we see is this foil to this idolatrous drive that he has nothing, <laughs> you know? Right. That he is, that oh, he's not being hyperbolic when he says, what use do you have for a dead dog like me? That's well established, mm-hmm. you know, that even, even when his Lord needs him the most, he can't get on his own horse to go follow his donkey, Right. And, and there's something very, I think, powerful and rich. And um, I've known people that worked um, with, say, disabled people like at Camp Barnabas and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, those people have encountered grace in a way that most people never will. They have nothing um, to
1: offer in the world in, 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 in worldly terms.
0: Right. But it, and the people who serve them because they're confronted with doing good for somebody with no hope. Of any kind of worldly return, right? Right, and Jesus says, "Invite the people who can't pay you back." Mm-hmm. There's something about that that there's that nothing about that makes sense. That this is a choice to be in a totally different economy, mm-hmm. and so Zeba represents one economy, and it works. Again, it it's it would be foolish for me to say, "Hey, that way doesn't work." It works. That's why it's so alluring. Mm-hmm. You know, we see people succeeding at it. We we want what they have. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are some people for whom that would never happen, right? Um, and those people, I think, have um, a clearer sense of this other economy. That there, that there economy must be. God's economy of right? grace. Really, there must be intrinsic value. There must be um, love and kindness that that flows from within the giver and not the receiver. Um And so that is the case in this, in this story and that it's rooted really in this relationship that goes back there, you know? Um, So uh, I just, I, so I'm going to give the antithesis real quick. So, you know, while David's being all kind back in 2 Samuel 9 to Mephibosheth, he decides to be kind to another person uh, for the sake of his ancestor, right? So it's a very similar thing, Okay. Um, in 2 Samuel 10, uh, 1 through 4, and then 17 through 19. You want to give us okay, that? Okay, in the
1: course of time, the king of the Ammonites died, and his son Hanan succeeded him as king. David thought, I will show kindness to Hanan, son of Nahash, just as his father showed kindness to me. So David sent a delegation to express his sympathy to Hanan concerning his father. When David's men came to the land of the Ammonites, the Ammonite commanders said to Hanan their lord, Do you think David is honoring your father by sending envoys to you to express sympathy? Hasn't David sent them to you only to explore the city and spy it out and overthrow it? So Hanan seized David's envoys, shaved off half of each man's beard, cut
0: off their garments at the buttocks,
1: and sent them away.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so here's an offer of grace, right? And how is it received? It's refused. Oh, well, rejected. Right? With suspicion. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's just like, nah, he, this guy's got... Because there's this bleeding over of this old, old economy, this uh-huh. economy of, of uh, ambition and self, and, and this kindness and grace that... And it's very similar in that it's for the sake of this guy's father. You know, his his instinct, his drive, this offer is almost identical to the one toward Mephibosheth. Uh-huh. I guess I want to bring this up because these are here for a reason, and I think one of the reasons is you can receive grace as Mephibosheth, or you can receive it like Hanan, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, Which is the, the rest of the story it. in 10, 17 through 19.
1: When David was told of this, he gathered all Israel, crossed the Jordan, and went to Helam. The Arameans formed their battle lines to meet David and fought against him. But they fled before Israel, and David killed 700 of their charioteers and 40,000 of their foot soldiers. He also struck down Shobak, the commander of their army, and he died there. When all the kings who were vassals of Hadadezer saw that they had been routed by Israel, they made peace with the Israelites and became subject to them. So the Arameans were afraid to help the Ammonites anymore.
0: Yeah, so the Ammonites were actually the enemies, uh, and you know, he goes out against them too. But you know, even the people that helped his enemies... Right, got overthrown. Uh-huh. So you know, David goes out and and he he destroys this the Ammonites, um, and then he even wipes out the people that are helping the Ammonites. You know, so um, this is a pretty pretty serious uh, retribution that happens. But all that to say is is I I don't want to preach this gospel of grace without the other side. <laughs> you know, here's the thing: is grace is extended if it is uh, snubbed or refused. And it is, you know, everybody's a recipient of grace. God, the fact that we have a breath or whatever, right? That's God's grace. Um, but what is it if you, if you turn and you, you know, you reciprocate good with evil. Um, if you are hostile toward the one who's being kind to you out of your own suspicions, right? Um, and so that's the, that's the warning. That yeah, there's an offer of grace on the table, mm-hmm. uh, and you don't have to take it, <laughs> you know. But um, I I think you know just as we see the way that, the way that these people responded to David's kindness, and, and not just with refusal, but with insult, mm-hmm. you know that that there is a, a justice I think to, in David's response. Mm-hmm. Um. And I I think that should probably be a a warning to Mm -hmm. us as well. So I know that may be a down note to start on, to end on, but I just, maybe that's just the way you you present a good gospel presentation, right? You know, David is the type for Christ and he is inviting us if we'll have that, you know, that faith. Um, But we can also be suspicious of him and, you know, uh, throw his his kindness back in his face. And um, that's probably not a good idea.
1: And it, and it usually expresses itself, this ex, this suspicion expresses this. It, it's really just a, a, uh, an insistence on continuing to live on the
0: world's terms. Yeah. On our own terms. Mm-hmm. Right. Not to be vulnerable, really. I mean, I think that was their concern, Hainan's concern, is, is just vulnerability. Here's somebody who's reaching out you know, forging this this bond and, and the, but it requires just just the least little vulnerability and mm-hmm. uh, trust it won't do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there you go.
1: Thanks everyone for listening today. If you got questions, you can email us at discussion at recoverfaith We will see you next time.